Welcome back to the Tape Store, everyone. This is Toby. And this is Brooke. We were made in the 80s. And played in the 90s. And this is the big one. <laughs> as in the big one, literally. We uh, are continuing Star Wars month here at the Tape Store. And when I mean the big one, this is about the literal one, Star Wars Episode One. Hey, say one again. Yeah, I will. And uh, <laughs> we will... And this is a special episode this week as well because we have with us my best buddy in the flesh. Not really. I wish he was actually here, but all the way from, is it Bellingham, Washington? That's correct. Yes. <laughs> my best friend, Jeff Darden. Yay. Hey, guys. How you doing? Yeah. Good to be here. I would absolutely go into me and Jeff's story, but that would be like... That's a whole episode. Yeah, it would be a whole... That's like, that's like a two-part episode. Yeah, it's massive. <laughs> Jeff is my best friend. And we have, uh, we actually became best friends over a movie, which was Lord of the Rings, which is outside of our time period, right? Only just. But Jeff, you also love Star Wars, right? I do. Uh, you know, it was one of those movies that I grew up watching, you know, over the years, and it's it it shaped me. You know, I'm sure to a large degree of who I who I am as a person. Yeah, same here. I mean, we are huge Star Wars fans here. And I'm trying to get my kids into it. It's tough. Yeah. How and you, and you? How much are your kids into it? Like not at all, and it really makes me uh -huh. sad. <laughs> I don't. It's like I thought it'd be way easier. You know, my my sister was able to get her kids right into it. They loved it. But you know, I think they're overstimulated with a lot of other things. I think it's an issue. <laughs> I I think that's the thing that kids face now that we really didn't. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, we had video games and stuff, but. I we didn't know. have like iPads and things like that. It's so accessible. But not to soapbox about that, but I had a funny story <laughs> I wanted to tell. Uh, we always, and we've talked about this before on the show, but me and Brooke like to watch the movie before we do a show on any kind of movie. Right. Just to be fresh and in that, just to be in that stuff before we talk about it. Now, Jeff, you've watched it, right? You've watched The Phantom Menace. I watched it, yeah, yesterday. Kind of refreshed Now, we're going to get in, yeah. Now, this is a two-part episode, by the way, if we haven't said it. Because this episode, we're going to talk about The Phantom Menace as a film. Right. And then we're going to get into part two of this glorious two-part episode. Part two is going to be about uh, the experience of when Phantom Menace actually hit the whole Star Wars craze when it came back. And that's a whole story in itself. Because Jeff and I went to opening night. That's right, pretty, Jeff? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and some wonderful stories from that. Now, Brooke... What did you do when Phantom Menace came out? Okay. Well. By the way, this is May May nineteenth. We always like to talk about when this film, when these movies, you know, came out. Oh wow, it's May seventeenth. So that's yeah, like just that, a few yeah. couple days. Few we days. did this on purpose. Uh, <laughs> the Phantom Menace. I don't think I realized we did it on uh, purpose. <laughs> Sorry. The Phantom Menace was released in Los Angeles on May sixteenth, nineteen ninety nine. It was released for all of the rest of us folks that live outside of L.A. Mm -hmm. On May 19th, 1999, it was directed by George Lucas himself, mm. who was on, yeah, yeah, this was his first time directing a Star Wars film since A New Hope in 77. So he did not direct Empire or Jedi, but he was back in the helm, not only for episode one, but he does two and three. So he likes to do the beginnings of things. Well, he did all these. Oh, he did all these. Jeff, what was the story about? Lucas, that he approached some other directors, yeah? Yeah, I think he did. I think he, he approached Steven Spielberg 
at a, mm-hmm. a certain time and asked him. I don't, I don't know which one of the sequels or prequels, rather. I think it was maybe episode two or possibly three, but he, he approached either Ron Howard or Steven Spielberg or, or both of them. And I know it was Steven Spielberg who said, no, this this is you. You you need to finish this, you know. So, yeah. And I think that's fair. Now, for all of us who just to give a little bit of context and then we're going to go right into the opening crawl and then we're going to go right into episode one. So but I, I want to give a little bit of context. Now, I remember when the Star Wars special editions came out like in 90 seven around that time jeff was that when the special edition when they re-released the trilogy that sounds right it was like about 97. 96 97 yeah yeah 96, i know 96 was, was one of the years for sure now are you talking about like the thx kind of like sort of cleaned up versions or yeah, are you talking I, about like I, the when, when they were cr- re-released and like they added all the yeah that one when they re-released okay, and added yeah. like the 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 new cgi and stuff mm-hmm. which we yeah. You know, some we liked, some we were kind of like, uh, maybe we didn't need that, but that's okay. (laughs) For Christmas, I got the trilogy. They're on VHS, the special edition (laughs) trilogy. It was a big deal. And before each film, George Lucas did an interview with Leonard Maltin. Leonard Maltin's a big film critic and historian. And George Lucas, so what I'm saying is, if you were a Star Wars fan, you already knew that George Lucas had this story, this prequel story. Because when you watch the original trilogy, you see that it begins with episode four. Yeah. So you're like, where was one through three? Mm-hmm. So what Lucas is telling Leonard Maltin in these special edition interviews is a little bit of that, you know, yeah, I had one through three already kind of done and then four, five, and six done as well. And I just wanted to tell four, five, and six and maybe I would do one through three later. And, you know, essentially that's kind of what happened, you know. 20 years later, we were treated to another hmm. massive uprising of Star Wars, even though Star Wars never really waned in popularity. I mean, no. I mean, I mean, what was your experience as a kid, Jeff? I mean, it never really went away. You know, like, um, I think in your last episode, you talked about how it was like the first Star Wars movie that you went to, but you don't really remember it. And that's exactly what. I, apparently, I mean, yeah, I I, can't, I went there as I was like three years old, you know, and I apparently slept yeah. the entire time. So I don't know if I can even <laughs> claim that I was, you know, oh, it's the first movie I saw, you know, first Star Wars movie. But I remember, yeah, this is... I, I remember seeing it in its in one of its re-releases, and I was like four or five, and I remember it very very clearly because I remember during the scene where you know uh, Leia's choking out Jabba. I yes. like turned my head. My mom closed my eyes because she was it's like, "Oh, you don't intense. need to see this," Aww. you know. And <laughs> I remember that very vividly. <laughs> and I remember being in the theater, but that's the only memory I have of it in the theater because I guess you know it was a it was an intense moment. So, but yeah, it's um, pretty rough. I had all the toys. We collected all the toys, and yeah, I guess as I got older, six or seven, and then VHS came out. That's when I really started to experience them. And my, I, I remember I saw. Return of the Jedi a hundred times before I ever saw Empire. And then I remember we, uh, my, my dad went on a business trip to Savannah for his job. And we all, all of us kids had to, had to attend a magic show and like just wait for the parents to like stop partying. <laughs> and they brought in episode, you know, the Star Wars one. And I had never seen it. 
Oh, I'd wow. never seen it, and I was like probably six or seven. I saw I saw I saw Return of the Jedi and Empire probably fifty or sixty times before I ever saw the first one. So, I but I loved that. it. I loved it, and I was like, oh, this this is all starting to make a lot more sense. <laughs> Do you ever have those moments when you're watching a, a movie when you're a kid and then something clicks that didn't click before? Yes. And you're yes. like, oh, well, yeah, that's that's exactly. Right. <laughs> that was kind of well, my experience, and that was actually. You know, the other thing that we were going to get to is just that this was huge. I'm talking about episode one, the prequels. They were huge because, as Jeff said, I barely remember watching Jedi in the in the movies. I just remember growing up watching them on TV. And I know every Christmas they would always, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Star Wars trilogy, you know, on TNT or TBS or whatever, would always be around on, on Christmas Day. They would show it's what up. they do with Harry Potter now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But for these, I remember actually being cognizant and aware. I was 19, and I was like, oh, man, here it comes, the big Star Wars wave. Another massive tidal wave of Star Wars is hitting us, and it was a lot of fun. And that's what I want to get into, especially after we talk about the film itself. So let's get into the film. You guys ready? Yeah. We're ready. So I'm going to read the opening crawl here. As I always say, it's the 20th Century Fox, the Lucasfilm logo, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Star Wars. Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. Turmoil has engulfed the Galactic Republic. The taxation of trade routes to outlying star systems is in dispute. Hoping to resolve the matter with a blockade of deadly battleships, the greedy Trade Federation has stopped all shipping to the small planet of Naboo. While the Congress of the Republic endlessly debates this alarming chain of events, the Supreme Chancellor has secretly dispatched two Jedi Knights, the Guardians of Peace and Justice in the Galaxy, to settle the conflict. Okay. <laughs> First thing I want to say, and Jeff, you've done some research, so I'm just going to say, when I'm reading the, this, this opening crawl, the phrase, the taxation of trade routes to outlying star systems is in dispute. When you're a kid, but even, we talked about this, when we saw this in the theater, we were like, Okay, what? Well, let's see some Jedi. Right. Let's see some lightsabers. Right. That's yeah. what we were like. No, it's re- it reads very political. There's very there's some serious bureaucratic political stuff going on. And I remember, and Jeff and I talked about this, you know. And mm-hmm. Jeff was like, "Yeah, we we're kind of like, oh, what's going on? I, I don't know. We we're just waiting to see Obi Wan again and Darth Maul. And yeah, there's a lot of political stuff. And 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 I want to go into before you know because Jeff did some research on this blockade stuff because. I remember even revisiting this film, you know, just a few days ago being like, I'm still not quite sure what was going on with that trade federation, you know? I mean, we do know how it all ends with, with the prequel trilogy, but I do want to say one of the things that we're going to be very careful about is, is one of the things the prequels are known for is the, the polarized opinions on them. I mean, rabid fans just go after these films Mm -hmm. and we are not rabid fans. We're just star Wars fans. Right. And I think that while we can watch these films, and me and Jeff have talked about these, we've picked them apart, and even Brooke, we were watching them uh, <laughs> before the show tonight, before recording, and Brooke was like, okay, and I'm like, right, 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 but you have to understand, the person- I have the same feelings I had many moons ago. Right. We will But the thing them. that we have to carry with us, it's almost like sacrosanct, is that the god of the Star Wars universe, which is George Lucas, he did these movies. Right. It's his it's his story. This is what he wanted to do. And so, that's fair. That I mean, like, if it's your creation, yeah. you can do what you want. I get that. So at the crack of the bat, <laughs> we're getting this stuff about trade and blockades and 
this is like stuff you teach in history class. I used to be a history teacher. So it's kind of like, mm-hmm. what the heck? So Jeff, what did you find out about what's going on with this? Okay, this- so there's a blockade at the beginning, right? The the trade separatists have, have, have all their starships blockading all trade from and to Naboo. So, and obviously, you know, just like in our, our own world, if, if there's a big trade blockade, that's going to affect, like, the citizens. They're going to start starving. They're going to start, you know, it's, it's going to disrupt society. And so, and the reason they chose Naboo was two reasons. Apparently, it is rich in a resource that they simply call, call plasma in um okay. in in the Star Wars world, I mean, this is if you go in the expanded universe. I'm, I'm sure people who are listening to this and have read all the novels, they probably know a lot more about this plasma stuff than I do because I'm just now learning this term. And of, of course, we know what plasma is in our own <laughs> as far right. as right. But like, uh, apparently, it's a natural resource that planets have, and 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 Naboo is an abundant in it. And also, Queen Amidala is one of the few leaders of, of a, a number of systems who refuses to sign this treaty. And this treaty would basically give Newt Gungry like, complete control. So Darth Sidious has, has, has put him up to this, basically, because Darth Sidious is pulling the strings behind the Trade Federation while, you know, Senator Palpatine is, you know, he's, he's working both sides, basically. Yeah, we both and, fi- we find that he, pretty early on that he is one yeah. of the same. Yes. He's one and the same. Uh, Lord Sidious or Darth Sidious and, and Senator Palpatine are one and the same. And Newt Gunray is, by the way, is the viceroy of the Trade Federation. I guess yes. kind of like the, the political leader of the, the political face, the head of state, I guess, of the Trade Federation. Correct. So now, and now obviously, it's pretty obvious that Palpatine is, is really, he's just orchestrating everyone. And, 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 and he's doing this to basically place himself in in a very good position to be elected chancellor you right. know because once he once he's you know chancellor he can you know then he can, start working towards the empire exactly and what we don't know what no one knows is that all this this big uh, trade blockade which just seems to be a blockade nothing more we find out once the jedi are on board that this thing's full of battle droids they're planning an invasion mm. you know yes. and that is where we you know where we pick up at the very beginning of the movie so that might hopefully that gives people a little bit of context as to what is going on because for the longest time i, I kind of just sort of <laughs> just went with it you know we almost just yeah we almost kind of like said excuse me trade federation story you know plot device yeah plot device we basically just, we have been a generation bereft of seeing Lights, uh, n- anything new with a lightsaber, mm-hmm. anything new with the Force. We've seen the same Jedi. We've seen Obi Wan Kenobi, Luke Skywalker, Yoda, and Darth Vader. We want to see some other folks. One of the things that the prequels promised was that we were going to see a whole new side of of the Force and the the way of a Jedi's life, and seeing them in combat. Yeah, you know, we want to see them tear some crap up with the lightsaber. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we were hungering for that. These special effects seeing Jedi in the age of CGI, right? Yeah. Yeah, true. And also I want to mention that Senator Palpatine's rise to power is not just a political rise to power. It's very spiritual in a sense because not only does he want power politically, it's also to bring about the age of the Sith again. Yeah. 
which that's what I mean by the spiritual, the the, the force mm-hmm. side of things. He not only wants to be the emperor, he wants to bring the Sith back into superiority. And it's all part of the plan, as the Joker says. <laughs> so, as as we go into this film, on the as we've explained this whole trade, federation, blockade stuff, okay, so Naboo is being threatened. It's a democracy, very democratic. It has a queen, but she's elected. Amidala, played by Natalie Portman, she's elected. Yeah. They're being threatened by the, the blockade, as Jeff just eloquently explained. Great job, bud. <laughs> so the two Jedi Knights that are sent to settle the issue, we quickly find that they are revealed to be Jedi Master Qui-Gon Jinn, portrayed by Liam Neeson, and his apprentice, a young Obi-Wan Kenobi, portrayed by Ewan McGregor. Thank God for these guys. I mean, yeah. Qui-Gon was so good. I wanted to see so much more of him. And, you know, you know when a character has done, uh, an actor, even a character has written well and has done their job if you if you really miss them. Yeah. And I found myself, it, I mean, if you're, if you're listening to this, you're probably a Star Wars fan, so we know what happens to Qui-Gon Jinn. Yeah. But I find myself in in other, you know, episode two, episode three, and in other um, parts of the Star Wars universe, missing him. Brooke, Brooke is a huge Liam Neeson fan. Yes, like, <laughs> My wife okay. So let me just go ahead and say, um, this is going to be a Toby and Jeff driven episode. Just FYI, because my and 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 like. I went to see The Phantom Menace. I was always like, a st- I was a low-key Star Wars fan because I was like, listen, I appreciate nerddom and like geekiness for it is my birthright. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm here for it. But I have tried and in vain to like um, episode one because I just, I even texted my cousin tonight and I was like, man, I forgot how bonkers this is. Like, yeah. it's like it's good. Like, it's no, like, I love it. I do. Like, just no, because it it's part its of the universe and we need it. And there are parts of it I'm still, like, totally wowed by. Like, you saw. Like, when we were watching, I was like, but dang. Like, that, I love how the Jedi just jump into action when something goes oh, wrong. Yeah. I love it. W- yeah. However, there are, there are key pieces that get me as an individual mm-hmm. that I don't enjoy. There are some crosses but, um, to bear. Right. And we'll no get doubt. there. We'll get there. Yeah. But, um... I'm just, I guess I'm just popping in to say I love Qui-Gon Jim because I love Liam Neeson immediately. Yeah. And I do like the role he plays. He's a mentor, but he doesn't seem as lofty and like no. aloof as maybe Obi-Wan was in the, in episode four, uh, episode four. He's not as like, I'm up here. No, he he's seems not. very gritty. And that's what I liked about him <laughs> specifically. I, th- I And I'm, I'll, I'll like to share for, for me for, with Qui-Gon, I like, he was very paternal. Yeah, like which, like you said, which goes right along with what Brooke said. Not lofty. He was very paternal. He liked people. He liked interacting with people. He had compassion. Uh, he also definitely had a side of him that was very headstrong. He's very, you know, everything he does to get Anakin, you know, away from Tatooine and essentially into the fray. Yeah, was very, very um, brash. He was a little bit flawed as Jedi's go. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there, Always there's good a in a hero. There's a line uh, at some point in the movie, I think towards the end, towards the middle, where Obi Wan is essentially berating him. You know, he says, "Don't defy the Council, Master, not again." You know, like so. Uh. He is, he is, you know, he's obviously defied the Council. I mean, that's that's a big deal. I think if you're a Jedi and you're 
I mean, the Council of Jedi is that's that's a pretty <laughs> high order, you know. That's you're right. yeah, <laughs> getting higher than that, really. I don't think. I mean, they're they're protectors of the universe, essentially the galaxies, whatever. So, I mean, he, he's obviously not afraid to break rules. To you know, he he's one of those guys. You know, you need to break a. You know, you need to. Ah, I need to bring, <laughs> say that again. No, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, you need to, you know, if you make a make an omelet, you need to break some eggs. And I think he's he's that he's that type of Jedi that he goes against the grain when he has to, when he feels he has to. And I feel like, you know, I mean, there there are a lot of lines in the movie where Amidala is like, "You Jedi are far too reckless." You know, he's he's ma- he's he makes questionable decisions along the way. But I feel he like does. he 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 believes in what he want he he needs to do, and. Yeah, he does it. <laughs> yeah, he believes like. in doing it his way. So yeah, and I like. He likes him more human, I think, in a way. I think the best mm-hmm. heroes are flawed. Yeah. yeah, and I think that, and and you mentioned Obi Wan as well berating Qui Gon. There's another line actually. You and I, Jeff, discussed this when, and Brooke, you may remember this. We just mm-hmm. watched it when Qui Gon brings Anakin along. Obi Wan says to him, "Why do I feel like we've brought an, along another pathetic life form? Mm-hmm. Something along that." Obi-Wan is that lofty type. He had that when he was an yes. apprentice. I think that's one of Obi-Wan's flaws. He's the, the intellectual. He's he's kind of pompous yeah. a little bit. Wouldn't yep. you say, Jeff? I mean, yeah. Obi-Wan's kind of he's kind of snotty a little bit. You know, he, he like blasters like, "Oh, these are these clumsy, you know, uncivilized things." So, you know, we see these flaws, but I think that Obi-Wan kind of is that lofty type. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Obi-Wan is good too, though. I mean, he's, you know, it's just I loved Qui-Gon Jinn, and I wanted to make sure we we spent some time on him because we're only going to get Qui-Gon. We only get him briefly. He's like a dream. He kind of comes in, mm-hmm. and, he, and he, he sets things in motion, and then he goes, you know? So I, I loved him. But the bottom line is they are there to settle this issue. It does not go well because, as Jeff explained, Darth Sidious is in a conversation with the Viceroy Newt Gunray, and... Newt Gunray's like, hey, what do we do? You know, we're here. We're we're doing the blockade, you know, just as you told us. So Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are in a waiting room. While they're in the waiting room, <laughs> the Trade Federation destroys the ship that they came in, which is like docked on their ship, blows it up, like no way out, kills the pilots that are on it. The, the impact <laughs> alerts the Jedi and, and this is where Brooke talks about, man, they, they, I walked in. I was outside <laughs> on our porch, and I walked in right when they jumped up and ignited their lightsabers. I mean, it is immediate. Yeah, I was, like, reclining on the couch, just kind of watching, and then and that happened. I just went, whoa. I just sat up. I was like, man, they were, like, they're so on it. And I, I love that that's how the film begins. Like, hey, just in case you were wondering what it's like to see Jedi just kind of yes. doing their thing, this is what it's like. Okay, so. I enjoyed that. And I want to get your thoughts on it, Jeff, because for me, when I think about episode one, this opening sequence with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan essentially engaging the Trade Federation that's attempting to kill them, I mean, and it's a sorry attempt compared to the Jedi's <laughs> abilities. It's And the, they know that, though. I think with the exception of, obviously, the duel with Darth Maul later, this is one of the best sequences, if not my favorite, I think, because I always think about Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon mm-hmm. just taking care of business here, <laughs> which they do, you know? They yeah. snap into action, avoiding their first threat, which is poisonous gas, then engage the Trade Federation foot soldiers, which are these battle droids, which are idiots, mm-hmm. essentially, but still. But we see, in all its glory, just why the Jedi had the legendary reputation that we had only heard stories of. I mean, right, dude? 
Yeah, I mean, this is when we, we, we first start seeing them, like, do things. We didn't even see Luke do, like, run, you know, like, almost like they dashed away at almost like a supersonic speed. Like, we're like, whoa, who was that? <laughs> you know, and when you see them jumping from extremely far distances, we've seen, we saw Luke jump around in Jedi and stuff, but nothing like that. All right, and Qui-Gon uses his lightsaber to begin shearing through blast doors. And I also loved this, the exposition that we get when Newt Gunray is talking to one of his little cronies. Uh, the One of the little cronies says, have you ever faced a Jedi? And he goes, no. And he goes, we won't survive this. And I'm like, yes. And I was like, there's literally two of them. And y'all are terrified. It's and incredible. And I love that. that, that, that this is, and this, this, is, this is where episode one is doing a great job. Yeah. It, it's presenting that the Jedi, if they showed up, it got shut down. That's it. And as you said, Jeff, we saw Luke Skywalker, and Luke Skywalker had was in an interesting time where there was the, the Jedi were essentially thought to be extinct, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And when we watched Jedi's fight, and, and me and Jeff, I remember a conversation that me and Jeff had twenty years ago about uh, almost about um, the fighting style of Luke, which is very like haymaker, like he's like a brawler with a lightsaber. You got to think he didn't grow up in a time where they trained. And so, but we see Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon almost fighting with this this style, this finesse. We see the, we see like a lot of finesse, a lot of twirling, right, dude? Yeah, I, I mean, mean, Luke never had any formal, you know, sword training, for lack of a better word. Whereas, you know, it's pretty, yeah, they, they made, I think they made that pretty clear distinction on purpose. It was excellent. They dispatch the battle droids. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are able to escape. They eventually escape to the surface of Naboo. Queen Amidala is obviously a sharp leader, though she's young. She doesn't want to go to war, and she's hoping that she can get help from the Republic through her galactic senator, Sheev Palpatine, <laughs> which we know what he's up to, and we know his end goal. Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon escape onto the surface of Naboo, and then we meet Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> oh, dear. Jar Jar, right? Yeah. So I think this is kind of like the... I mean, look, we struggle with Jar Jar. I don't think he's a great character. I just don't. I well, just don't. He he's go ahead. Well, I was gonna say. I mean, we can we can literally pinpoint like everything that goes wrong and why the Empire was even formed because of Jar Jar. <laughs> I mean, he is the one who, after all, like finalizes the 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 bill or whatever that gives like Chancellor Palpatine oh. like full power to make That's a droid right. army i mean make a clone army and he i mean you can that. you can you can you can take you can trace everything back there from the first order uh, back to that point freaking charge <laughs> you know so, i just can't I, I can't there's not a thing i can stand about him i mean god bless him but he's what wh- where, where do i begin i know the kids and, and, like him, and this know. is where, yeah the kid yeah that one was for the kids. This is kind of like in a video game when you when when you're when you when you know that you, you when you take your character to as far <laughs> as the video game has programmed land and places to go. So it's like uh okay we need to go back we need to get back into the game because we can really jump into a hole with the Jar Jar thing. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. not a good character, not not well done. Um, but I think it's funny that you talk about all the way up to the first order. I imagine <laughs> Kylo Ren has like a bust of him. That God. is that is Senator Jar Jar Binks. It's very important to us. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
Real quick, okay. I used to just joke that like episode seven should have like started out with like Jar Jar's funeral, you know, just, <laughs> just to kind of like uh, it's over. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> don't. Listen, we passed this chapter. We, no, we've already given our disclaimer. We were no listen, and and I'm saying this in all seriousness. We totally respect what George Lucas has done with these stories, and we and in all, we we appreciate them. And, and, we, and we consider them part of the story. We're not like, again, we're not the rabid fans. They're like, no, never. I mean, this is, we, we have found things that we can appreciate in all three of the prequels. But you can't not talk about these, I don't think, without being critical of Jar Jar. Uh, it just, it was too much. Because the fact of the matter is, I, it, it was hard. When you bring in R2 and 3PO later, you have more comic relief. Yeah, and it's like Jar Jar is just, and it was just. I felt like it was almost too much comic relief when when you get to some of these characters. But we do meet Jar Jar, yes. And because Qui Gon saves him, one of the things that happens is not only is the blockade going to continue, but Lord Sidious orders the Trade Federation to begin their invasion. Yeah. So as these Trade Federation like massive vehicles are coming in and knocking down trees and stuff. Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan, again, they've escaped to the surface from the ship, the Trade Federation ship, and Qui-Gon essentially saves Jar Jar's life, like, by happenstance, and Jar Jar pledges his life to Qui-Gon. In a Chewbacca-esque... So, um, nowhere near as cool as Chewbacca. No, no, never. (laughs) No, never. This is where we meet the Gungans, though. Jar Jar takes Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon into the depths of the water, where we see that the Jedi have these little breathing... You know, apparatuses that kind yeah. of them around. It's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. They swim down. They they end up in this place where the Gungans are, which are underwater. It's like another race on Naboo. They don't get along great with the Naboo, though. The Gungans and the Naboo kind of have some social issues. Yeah. Uh, the the Gungans see that the Naboo look at them as, as inferior. It's never really addressed how the Gungans are perceived by the Naboo, but the Gungans perceive that the Naboo don't like them, and they, right. we don't know what has happened if there's been excuse me, some kind of history. Yeah. We don't know if there's been a history, but they don't get along. They generally leave each other alone. When Boss Nass is presented with the issue by Qui-Gon Jinn, like, this is what's happening on the surface. You guys are getting attacked. Your planet, it's going to affect you. He goes, ah, let the <laughs> Naboo deal with it, right? So Naboo has been invaded. Even though our Jedi escape, our Jedi friends escape and get out of danger, the uh, the Trade Federation has taken Naboo. They storm the city of Thede. They take the Queen and her entourage, and they plan on holding them captive, essentially, until they can get their way. However, of course, we know the Jedi are alive. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, they come in, and they do some more fancy lightsaber work, and they take care of some battle droids, and they get the Queen and her entourage, and they are able to escape. Yes. And their plan is to get to Coruscant. Coruscant's like the Washington D.C. Yeah, or, or maybe the U.N. something like that. But yeah, I mean it, it is a, it is uh, yeah, a yeah. republic, so yeah, more like Washington. I would I would say. So, we got to get the queen there. That's their mission. So they got to get the queen there so she can plead her case before the Senate and get something done about this trade federation. But while they're trying to get out and go to Coruscant, our heroes Qui Gon and Obi Wan, and the Queen and all them, and Captain Panaka. His head of her head of security, yeah. and Reek Ole, which is the he's the guy that's piloting. Remember that dude, Jeff? <laughs> the guy whose action figure was always left. You know when you when you were, <laughs> when you were when you were buying action figures when the episode during the episode one craze, you were guaranteed to find a Captain Panaka or Rick Ole, or like the, just the <laughs> battle droid, like 
Or Chancellor Valorne. <laughs> he was there, too. Yeah. At any rate, um, on the way to Coruscant, they get attacked by the Trade Federation. It damages their ship. They're able to escape. R2-D2 actually is able to... He's one of the astromech droids that actually is able to get there and save the ship. So we find out that all ships have these types of droids. Mm-hmm. So... While they're able to escape the Trade Federation on the way to Coruscant, they can't make it. They're too damaged. They have to park and hide out somewhere. And where do they go? Tatooine. Tatooine. So now we see, uh uh-oh, we know who's there. Newt Gunray reports back to Darth Sidious that the Queen has disappeared. Sidious dispatches his Sith apprentice, the menacing Darth Maul, to locate the Queen. Now, I remember when I saw this guy, it was the trailer. Darth Maul. Yeah. Darth Maul is a major subject for all of us Star Wars fans and if you've seen episode one that's the one thing you take away from it when you saw that trailer who is that dude right with with the double bladed I, I remember I, it was on entertainment tonight that was this is before the I mean the, the internet was out but it was like yeah you know you don't you don't download trailers with dial up you know we, we knew that no so the, I was literally waiting and I recorded it and it came on entertainment tonight and I and I watched it like a million times probably and I just remember thinking, oh, my God, I saw Qui-Gon. And I don't even think I knew. Who, I, mean, I may have known who Liam Neeson was. I just know this guy looks so cool. You know, when <laughs> they, you know, and he introduced us as Obi-Wan Kenobi and as Ian McGregor and Young. I mean, I, I just the feeling, I, I chills just going up and down my, my spine. And seeing right. Darth Maul in that trailer, I was like, who is this? Oh, my God. It was <laughs> one, of the, one of the greatest, you know, the first time you see a trailer experiences ever. When this, I mean, listen, when this episode one trailer came out, that, that was the big thing. Like, the trailer, the preview. They put it on a movie called Secondhand Lions, which <laughs> starred Michael Caine and Haley Joel Osment. And I think it... That, I remember that, that movie. <laughs> man, I don't, there's no telling what percentage of that movie's box office intake just came from people who yep. came... They said, that, if I'm not mistaken, Jeff, people were showing up and watching... Now, Jeff, a little bit of a backstory on Jeff, and you'll learn more about Jeff uh, as, we, as we continue on. But... Jeff, you've been in the movie theater business. I'll let you explain it. You've been in the theater business for a while. 20 years. I started out in the theater business when you know I was 16 years old, and yeah, I became a manager and just stuck with it until only about three or four years ago. I've switched careers since then, you know. But um, there's a million stories I could I could go into, obviously. But in in terms of like when Star Wars came out, like my theater didn't get it. I got to experience it the way most people. Do, you know, I mean, episode one, obviously not the original. So yeah, I mean, now if I'm not, mis- oh. but but if I'm not mistaken, now now when me and Jeff were hanging out, Jeff was still working at the theater, and we all, in fact, the whole most of the group of friends all worked at the theater except me. I worked at Kmart. <laughs> but I remember you guys did get the trailer. You guys did get the trailer at your movie yeah. theater. <laughs> Full disclosure: when episode two trailer came out, we we got it in. You know, it comes in like you know these little UPS packages, and I'm like, "This is pre digital, guys." So that Jeff Jeff worked with the film, yeah, strips. yeah, 35 yes. millimeter. And I remember like, "Oh my god!" And I just remember I I literally just ran into the booth in between, like I had 30 minutes. You know, it's usually when the downtime between between um, uh, show times, and I threw this trailer on. <laughs> And I had to like the way the way you have to do it. You, you, you know, you can't just you know splice a trailer in the middle of a film because it's on these huge platter systems. But I just threw it on whatever movie that was. I have no idea to this day. <laughs> and I mean, I probably we could have been fined. I don't even know. I didn't care. 
I had yeah, to, to see, see this trailer, you know, because it, it was a decent amount of time between episode one and episode two, you know. Right. Yes. And it, a couple years. We were we were just chomping at the bit at anything, you know. We we, we were expecting God knows what. I don't want to, you know, go in too much in episode two, but but yeah, there's a story, and then so I, I remember here comes the showtime for whatever movie this was, and I. I hit, you know, I, I turn on the projector and I ran down into the auditorium so that I could experience it the way, the way, you know, you're meant to experience it. And I'm, you know, I see the, you know, it, we're, we're, we're waiting for the film to start, you know, you always little stupid things before a movie. And then all of a sudden you see the right. Lucas film and there's only like, uh, this is like a matinee. This is like three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, Cause you just threw it on the first yeah, movie. Yeah, I just threw it on. I, I put it in number six because that was our biggest, <laughs> most impressive movie theater with the best sound. And I went in there, and there's like four people in this theater. You know, it's it's not. This is not the way George Lucas wanted. They're like so lucky. Premiered. This is not the way. You know, these are the luckiest people on earth yeah. right now. So anyway, so and 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 I, I think that that uh, if I if I'm re- if I recall now, I went back and looked, and I, I immediately ripped each other off of this thing, and 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 and, and then we put it onto the movie that it was supposed to be on, whichever was going to premiere that next weekend, probably some big tentpole movie, you know, like Men in Black or Two or some crap. But, like, <coughs> um, anyway, so I'm down there. I ran in the theater. You see the Lucas Film Limited, you know, sparkle. Oh, yeah. And I just hear this guy go, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I just kind of look over like, dude. <laughs> he just kind of ru- yes. ruined, like, the whole, like... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> but anyway, but that was all of us in that moment. Yeah. So that was. <laughs> but after you shook that off, then we. But saw anyway, it. then I ripped that's, the trailer off of it. Yeah. So I wouldn't get in trouble. But I, I had to, you know. It's one of those one Look, of those like is... moral decisions. Like, oh, do I do I possibly <laughs> break a major you know rule whatever I don't know I, I don't know what kind of like you know trouble probably 20th Century Fox would have like really gotten mad at us and probably threatened to like remove all fox movies from our theater who knows but <laughs> um oh god i don't know but um but thank, i had to but, see but, it g- i had to see it but. so but for me i saw it at parkwood which is where you work jeff at the time and i was able to go into secondhand lines and i saw it uh <laughs> the episode one trailer i'm talking about the episode one the episode one trailer. you guys let me walk in to secondhand lines before it started and i watched it and was blown away and I just remember, because this is all to get to Darth Maul, seeing this guy with this intricate red and black face paint and these horns and a double-bladed yeah. lightsaber. Are you kidding me? When he's introduced in the film, he walks out of the shadows on this hologram communication with Darth Sidious, and you can tell that this guy is no joke. Yeah, This guy's going to do some damage. Like You know how you see bad guys in movies and you know, like, okay we're going to lose some people or something <laughs> seriously horrible is going to happen to the good guys yeah. because he's too bad. Mm-hmm. Darth Maul was seriously, seriously bad, you know, yeah. played by Ray Park. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the best portrayals of a Sith really in star Wars. I mean, after Darth Vader, I mean, Darth Vader is excellent, but golly, Darth Maul was just, and unfortunately, I uh, underutilized, I believe, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, he's, he, he's made a little bit of a, come back recently in the clone yeah. wars and some other you know solo he 
Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> right. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously he was a great character. And the whoever, the powers to be, decided, hey, this is this is too good of a character for us to just let go, you know, for one, yeah. one movie. He's got, I think it's said that he's somewhere between five and six minutes of screen time. Oh, yeah. Know? It's oh, and it's, it, it's tough. Yeah. And, and, it was and, so good. But but considering that, you know, how big of an impact this character had on the whole community of Star Wars for having only six minutes of screen time, is that's pretty remarkable. He is, yeah. And I want to say again, he was, again, portrayed by Ray Park. He was, his voice, though, is not Ray Park. His voice is Peter Serafinowicz, mm-hmm. who was in Guardians of the Galaxy. He was a um, great actor. So he, he gives Darth Maul his very ominous voice, English actor. Very good. So moving forward, so so now Darth Maul is on the board. We're at Tatooine. They've got to procure parts to repair their ship. Yep. In order to get to Coruscant. It's all to get to Coruscant, right? This is where we meet another character though, Padme. Which we immediately know something's afoot here because it's Natalie Portman who plays the queen. Right. But it's Padme, right? She is one of the queen's like maidens. Ladies and, waiting, whatever. Yeah. yeah. She's tasked with cleaning R2-D2 because he's like, that's what R2-D, I guess, astromech droids, when they do something good, it's like, oh, you get to be cleaned. (laughs) Padme is tasked with cleaning R2-D2 and eventually is sent onto the surface of Tatooine with Qui-Gon, Jar Jar, and R2-D2. Why Qui-Gon took Jar Jar out into, to do something really important in a rough place. He's already expressed that he's very clumsy and has messed some major things up. Well, Qui-Gon is, yeah, and Qui-Gon has already said, these spaceports are dangerous places. Padme says that by the Queen's order, she is supposed to go. Again, nobody knows that Padme is Queen Amidala. Right. We know that because we know that that's Natalie Portman. But the, back, the fact of the matter is, in the story, she's sent supposedly in, on the insistence of the Queen right. to be with Qui-Gon. R2 is there. Not quite sure why they took R2, but R2 at least is incredibly R2 useful. R2 can handle himself. R2 can handle himself. He's proven himself. But if I'm going to a dangerous place where anything could happen, where I have to keep a sharp eye, I am not going to take Jar Jar. No, who's essentially Scooby-Doo. Yes, thank you, yes. <laughs> like he is. Like when I look at him, I'm like, mm, Bell Bottoms, annoying. Yeah, we're here. This is it. So <laughs> Scooby-Doo. They, they go to a spaceport <laughs> to get the parts, and this is where they cross paths with Watto, who is like this little creature on wings who kind of runs this kind of junkyard but he also not only owns a junkyard, he owns people. There's slavery on Tatooine. Mm-hmm. And two of his slaves is a woman named Shmi Skywalker and her son, Anakin. The Skywalkers, again, are slaves to Watto. They were, they were, he won them betting on pod races, which is this popular pastime on Tatooine. And we find that Anakin is a talented pod racer himself, played by the actor, by the way, Jake Lloyd. Anakin was just... I, I, I would not envy anyone who had to cast that role right but you have to understand too like which i have a lot to say about you know the portrayals of anakin but we have two actors that have portrayed him uh, in the in the prequels we have jake lloyd and we have hayden christensen i have a lot of things that i like about hayden christensen i tended to not be as critical of jake lloyd just because he's a kid he's a I mean, he's a kid he's a child actor what brooke i i Sorry, my face is telling a different story. Listen, listen. 
I agree. Okay, I'm okay. So here's the thing: I come from a theater background, so why that sentence doesn't compute in my brain is because I've one I've seen so many movies where child actors are just phenomenal and like so good, right. or stage plays, whatever. So when I watch this and I see this child who's you know he's cute, you know, I and mean, he's not terrible. Like he's he is a kid, but you're telling me that in Hollywood land. You can't find a child that can emote just a little bit more than I'm a person and my name is Anakin. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, it. I was kind of like, oh, maybe it's coming. You know what I mean? Like the whole well, movie was like, okay, well, maybe he warm into it. You know, like it just didn't happen. And I was there's sad. actually a, a pretty good YouTube video I think I saw where it showed a bunch of kids auditioning for the role of Anakin. And, oh wow. Um, the 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 screen uh, the screen test was the line, "Are you an angel?" You know, yeah, that, that, yes. that whole thing that, which I think is kind of a weird. I don't know. <laughs> it is a, a very that, strange. Not a fan it. of that line of dialogue. Yeah, no. But um, no. there was no. this other kid who they all and I actually liked him a lot more. I gotta tell you. <laughs> like, <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, we, we got Jake Lloyd, and yeah, I, I appreciate every effort. I <laughs> just, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I that's the part of the movie that I kept being like, I want okay. to like this more, and I can't. So, I think that the only time Jake Lloyd's portrayal of Anakin, the o- well, let's just I'll try to remove Jake Lloyd from it, but I'm sure he did the best he could. Yeah, I'm yeah, just saying yeah, yeah. that um, the only time we see Anakin in episode one emote any kind of anger mm-hmm. is when he says to Padme, to my knowledge, to my memory of the movie, which I just saw it, was <laughs> I'm a person and my name is Anakin. <laughs> Listen to me. And I think you and I have talked about this, Jeff. I really felt we needed to see more because we see it in episode two and three. Of course, we see we see the anger in him and the yeah, insecurity. You, we and the need fear. to see his raginess, but we didn't see it. In fact, okay, I'm not going to do it. I, I want to say that this is. <laughs> I, I I wanted to say this is maybe what could have happened, but I'm not. This this is what George Lucas did. I'm just saying that I would have liked to have seen though. Something in Anakin that wasn't so straight and narrow as a child. Even. Right. He was Some, a little too leave it to Beaver. Something We needed to see mm-hmm. something duplicitous, something deceptive in him, I think, even early on. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. I mean, wouldn't you say, Jeff, I mean, because I'm a person, my name is Anakin, with, <laughs> with a furled brow at your future wife. This isn't enough. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know we're, we're not supposed to do it. The, the one thing I, I would have done was I would have... And it would have been very easy to just make him where he he didn't care that much that he was leaving his mom, you know, like like yeah. he cared, but he was like, you know, maybe that would that would have been a good opportunity to show his you know, a little bit of selfishness, a little bit, yeah, of, some something ambitious because Anakin was ambitious. That was yes. one of his fatal flaws. I think it was just his ambition. He wanted to be powerful, you know. And I think perhaps, I mean, obviously, it's not. It's we can't we can't operate on assumption but i think perhaps what was happening with the story and the reason why maybe the directorial choice for him to be as straight laced as he was is we were writing on the legend of who he was right and we're like okay well we know what this becomes yes so we can make allowances i'm i'm, I'm assuming that's what the idea was i know because otherwise there's, I... there otherwise there's no good reason why we should not have seen some like really surprisingly ragey moments Yes. Or like 
really um something him, him twisting something like I think it, we yeah. should have seen more. So I think we were we're supposed to be riding on what we know is coming. And I think that which you, is eh. and I think Brooke brings up a good point because I just think that there are just some roles that are so and listen the role of Anakin Skywalker had become so huge. Mm-hmm. And when we think about Star Wars, we still think about Darth Vader. Yeah. I see that helmet, that face. The, the the legend of Anakin Skywalker was so huge, I just think it was bound and determined that whoever stepped into those shoes was going to catch some flack. And True. I think that that's not entirely fair. But I do think that there is a lot to be desired there with with, with really wanting to see some depth with, with episode one, uh, with the portrayal, Jake Lloyd's portrayal there. Getting back to the story, though, Watto, the owner of the Skywalkers, he's a jerk. Okay? Right. He's complicated, too. Jedi mind tricks don't work on him. I mean, Qui-Gon tries to kind of like, you know, jerk him around a little bit and kind of get him to, to do what he needs to do. It doesn't work. And he's scheming. He's crafty. He's difficult. He's smart. He kind of knows these people are not just these drifters. They're here for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he can smell an opportunity. Oh yeah, it's less that he's smart and more that he is always looking to profit. We also meet Sebulba, Anakin's cutthroat rival in pod racing. Anakin, nice kid. He takes Qui Gon, Jar Jar, and Padme to his house where they meet Shmi Skywalker, Anakin's mother. She's very kind. Uh, great portrayal. I loved her. Loved Shmi Skywalker. Anakin has a droid named C three PO. Mm-hmm. So it's all coming together, right? We're adding we're adding new And is he building C three PO? Is he, that what he's not quite completely complete. Okay. But he's there. By the way, I just want to say Shmi Skywalker is portrayed by actress Pernia August. So just like to throw those yeah. names out there. So yeah, we're, we we meet C three PO. C three PO and R two D two meet. It's kind of a neat <laughs> moment, you know, gives you chills a little bit, you know. So yeah, look, the Skywalkers are really nice. The big problem we find, though, is that the parts for the Naboo ship are too expensive, so something major will need to be done to acquire those parts. Meanwhile, Darth Sidious has a brief conversation with Darth Maul, who speaks of having revenge on the Jedi. Mm. Not only that, Darth Sidious, he sends Darth Maul out looking for this Naboo ship and its occupants, looking for the Queen, looking for those Jedi. Not good when Darth Maul is tracking you want to talk really briefly about this dinner scene at Anakin's while Qui-Gon and them are there. It's essentially an opportunity for some exposition. We we talk about the importance of Anakin. Uh, we find that Anakin has heard of Jedi, that he has, has had a dream about being a Jedi, and that he has Jedi reflexes as the only human who can race pods. Mm-hmm. Also leads to the discussion about the money. Anakin Skywalker says, hey, I'm a pod racer. If I win the Boonta Eve pod race, the money that I win would more than pay for those parts, right? So we're seeing what is going to need to happen here, right? Then the next thing, the other foot's about to drop too with this this importance of Anakin thing. Qui-Gon has a conversation with Shmi the next day where he reveals that he senses that the Force is strong with Anakin. Shmi says, well, guess what? <laughs> Anakin does not have a father. Now, this is really, really cool. Mm-hmm. The Force has birthed a child. But I think this is where, again, something that I'm kind of really critical of, and you might have something to say about it too, Jeff, is this is where we find out about something known as midichlorians. Uh, Qui-Gon takes a blood sample of Anakin because he's sensing that this kid's strong with the Force. He sends it back to Obi-Wan, who's been camping out on the ship that's broke down. And we find out that Anakin has the highest known levels of midichlorians. Now, Jeff, what was your take on midichlorians? 
I, I, I didn't like it. I mean, <laughs> For like, me, it's... it's yeah. When I was a kid, you know, and you're watching Star Wars, um, you always you always felt that, like, the Force was kind of like, you know, the, the, the closest thing I can, I can relate it to our own reality is, like, a, like a, your chi yeah. or something like that. You know, something... It's you, mystical. You, anyone could be a Jedi if they, if they focused hard enough, if they became one with the Force, you know, whatever that amounted yeah. to. Right. But now we find out that it, it's not a spiritual or or you know thing it, it's 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 biological yeah it was you know? tough and 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 that kind of that really bugged yeah, me yeah, like, <laughs> at that, first you well, know and they moved away from that too yeah oh that, yeah that, like, like you don't hear the, the word medichlorian that's like a bad word i feel like now <laughs> in the you know yeah like that but, that um, never came back really well, for me, it's it's one sentence. It takes away from the mysticism of the Force. Now, I don't think George Lucas necessarily intended that. I, I do think that is how it may have translated to some of us. Not all fans. I'm sure that, you, like I said, like we've said, you have fans out there that have a lot to say about all kinds of Star Wars stuff. But for me, midichlorians, it was just like, eh, just didn't think it was necessary. You know, I just liked that the Force is almost something unknowable. It's almost godlike. Yeah. You know? And I always liked how Star Wars was really a combination of of this gritty sci-fi, which I think is represented almost by the Han Solo side of things. You know, a good blaster being a space cowboy versus yeah. this this high moral religious you know force or this immoral dark religious yeah. force. You know, just it, it was a great knitting of these two ideas, and the midi chlorians I think took the power from the mystical religious part of Star Wars for me well and i think one thing that they and one how this relates to anakin is i think one thing the one thing that they did a disservice to anakin with is that um especially with the later episodes like in our modern day that have come out Mm -hmm. they've been more character driven rather than plot driven right with anakin almost everything he does is primarily plot driven oh yeah so the midichlorians are absolutely plot driven we're not instead of watching what Anakin is experiencing and going through and letting that propel us forward. Oh, yes, good. We're having plot devices propel him forward, so his character is secondary. Not to like break from this and go completely forward, but in episodes 7, 8, and 9, so many of our characters are character-driven. We're just following what's happening with them, especially Rey. We are spe- we're following what's happening with her internally. Right. Uh, for most of it. Now, it starts to get a lot more plot-driven later. But with Anakin, especially in episode one, it kind of disappoints me that it's primarily plot-driven. Yeah, it almost like it, it's almost like the movie itself, the story itself, treats Anakin like he's a kid. Yeah. Like, you know... And for, by all rights, we should be really looking at what's going on with him. He's the central character, in my opinion, of, of episodes one through six. Right. He is the central character. I think that I think I just like I don't think I realized it, but I think that's been my beef with him. Obviously, the acting is an issue, but and uh, just yes. just going back to the Metaclorians thing, and you can kind of see it also with Ray's arc that I, I think this was also just just a, a, a way to get around, you know, Anakin mm-hmm. even having a father. Because if you say, oh, "Okay, who's Anakin's father?" that opens up. Yeah, a whole you're lot not of wrong. Worms, you know, like now we got to who <laughs> yeah. else is he? You know been right you know what i mean <laughs> well, you, or whatever but because <laughs> because then you're like oh anakin's got brothers and sisters no out there. that's no, too much story just, to he, to cover know. no you're right you're totally right mm-hmm. so let's move forward though we got it we got to get through the rest of this so qui-gon <laughs> decides to place a bet with Watto, 
if Anakin wins the pod race, Qui-Gon gets to take Anakin with him, and they would get the winnings. Yeah. Now, Watto is betting on Sebulba. If Anakin loses, though, Watto gets the Naboo ship. So what Watto does is he has this dice that's got like red and blue sides, and he goes, well, if it goes red, you get the mom. He goes, if it goes blue, you get the boy. Now, Qui-Gon initially wanted both. Because right. I think he I think he cared for Shmi as well, but we're talking about Qui-Gon as being flawed. He sees He too is an opportunist. This to a degree, yeah. Yeah. I think it's I think it's interesting that he even was as a Jedi was like, let's make a bet. Right. I was kinda like, oh. He's definitely okay. unconventional. In the end, Qui-Gon uses the force and makes the dice go blue. So if Anakin wins the pod race, not only do they get the money they need, they're gonna get Anakin. And fast forward a little bit, Anakin <laughs> Anakin wins the pod race. Okay. <laughs> Anakin wins the pottery. <laughs> we know this. <laughs> Skywalkers are strong in the Force, and they're good pilots. So he goes with Qui-Gon, who, with Anakin's winnings, is able to purchase the needed parts. Qui-Gon also has plans to make Anakin a Jedi. I mean, he breaks it to him. He goes, look, you're going to come with me. going to train you. It's going to be great. But before they leave, Darth Maul <laughs> has located them. He arrives and assaults Qui-Gon who is barely able to fend off the attack before he's saved by jumping on the Naboo ship as it takes off. Listen, I mean, I don't know if you noticed this, Jeff. Me and Jeff have talked a lot about fight scenes and things over the years with movies we liked, but Darth Maul definitely had the jump on Qui-Gon. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty evident there. <laughs> I mean, do, did you get from that that Qui-Gon probably wasn't going to maybe last if he fought Darth Maul again. I mean, I don't know. For me, it kind of said something well, foreboding about Qui-Gon. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean he was out of- we're going to get to the lightsaber fight in a little while, and I'll, I'll have a little bit of stuff to say about that, about Qui-Gon specifically. But, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he definitely had to jump on him. I don't... Um, and, I, and I think that he definitely had the upper hand, even though he was only fighting... Darth Maul was only fighting with one blade at the time. It was He was still, like, you know pretty much manhandling uh, Qui-Gon, you know. and He's barely able to fend off the attack, but he is able to introduce these two pillars of the Star Wars universe. He introduces Anakin Skywalker to Obi-Wan Kenobi, who even though we haven't talked about Obi-Wan a lot, mm-hmm. Ewan McGregor's portrayal of Obi-Wan is absolutely top par. And again, in my opinion, he was my favorite of the whole movie. When I walked out of the theater, I was like, okay, Obi-Wan Kenobi... And Obi Wan and as Ewan McGregor that actually made Obi Wan Kenobi, he's like my favorite Jedi. Even like I even like him more than <laughs> my uh, my childhood hero Luke. I, I just love Obi Wan Kenobi. So, at any rate, we arrive to Coruscant, right? The city planet. This is like essentially the UN, the Washington D.C. We meet Senator Palpatine and Supreme Chancellor Valorum, played by Terrence Stamp. We also meet the Jedi Council. Just to kind of you know move through this. There's two meetings that happen, and they both go bad. The Senate meeting stalls on Naboo's blockade. So Queen Amidala presents her case. She's being completely truthful, but the bureaucracy kind of starts to, you know, well, let's investigate. You know, so Chancellor Vorm says, yeah, would you let us maybe come check things out, essentially? She goes, no, we're being attacked. We've been attacked. I've been run out of my palace, essentially, you know? Yeah. And Palpatine sees an opportunity to say, hey, look, this is not going to go well for you. This Now we see how weak the Senate is. I say you move to a vote of no confidence on Chancellor Valorum. And she gives this no vote, this vote of no confidence. And a, I mean, the Senate goes rabid. And count, I guess all had, apparently, 
if you're the chancellor, all that has to happen is someone says no confidence. I mean, Chancellor yeah. Borm immediately. Did, I figured that he would have more support. Right. Like, no way. <laughs> He's a good guy. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it takes care of Chancellor Valorum immediately, which leads to the nomination of Palpatine as the next Supreme Chancellor, who acts hesitant, but he's very eager. Right. It's very eager. The second meeting is the Jedi Council. So the Jedi Council, led by Yoda, is presented with Anakin by Qui-Gon Jinn. They reject Anakin. Also, by the way, just want to say, also on the council is Mace Windu, who is played by Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson really wanted to be in these prequel films. He spoke with George Lucas, and George Lucas not only got him in the movie, <laughs> but Mace Windu is an incredibly important Jedi. Like yeah. He is incredibly skilled in combat. The reason why the council rejects him is two reasons. Too old and having too much internal angst, fear. I mean, Yoda immediately is like, you are afraid, kid. You know, Anakin's thoughts are, are not even in front of him or even in the present there in the past. And But Yoda is really able to say, you are afraid. That's too much of a liability. You're too old and too much of a liability. Qui-Gon rejects the appraisal of the council and moves to train Anakin himself. And lifts Obi-Wan as being prepared to become a knight. like Because Yoda's like, you already have a Padawan. You can't have more than one. Yeah. And he goes, well, Obi-Wan's ready. He's done. <laughs> but again, we're talking about Qui-Gon being flawed. Yeah. I mean, he's basically kind of like, it's almost like he's building the plane as he's flying. He's like, I just found this kid. Well, I'll train him. You know, Obi-Wan's ready anyway. Was Obi-Wan ready? I believe he was. Yeah. But not in that in this kind of situation. I don't think it was the right time to to lift Obi-Wan. But, but that's what Qui-Gon did. Mm-hmm. This is what he did, you know. So two meetings, both go bad, right? Senate meeting goes bad. Amidala is disgusted with the Senate. Qui-Gon does not have his wishes fulfilled by the council, so he goes against them and argues. Queen Amidala, disgusted with the Senate proceedings, decides to return to Naboo to either fight or fall with her people. Along with the Jedi, she returns and then reveals herself both as Padme and Amidala to the Gungans and pleads with them to join with the Naboo because they are going to they are going to throw throw all their chips in and they are going to fight the Trade Federation. Yep. So let's talk about this plan for a second. The Gungans, who are moved, Boss Nass is moved by, Queen Amidala gets on her knees, by the way. She gets on her knees and says, listen, please, yeah. we, let's be one people. It's really great. Boss Nass is moved. He goes, I like this. He goes, mm-hmm. so so you don't see yourselves as better right. than the Gungans. Yeah, they needed that. They need to see that. So the Gungans go. They throw all their chips in with the Naboo. They will engage the Trade Federation Army. The Gungans will. The Gungans will engage the Trade Federation Army and pull them from the city of Theed. Queen Amidala and a detachment of soldiers, along with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, will secretly enter Theed, the capital of Naboo and the palace, and capture Viceroy Gunray in order to force the Trade Federation to negotiate. So once the battle begins, we move between three locations. There's the land battle between the Gungans and Naboo, the space battle between Naboo and the Trade Federation, and Queen Amidala's clandestine mission with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon to kidnap the Viceroy. But immediately, things take an unexpected <laughs> turn. Once the two Jedi storm the palace with Queen Amidala and her troops, Darth Maul, who had already arrived ahead of the Jedi appears. And this is where we really start to hear the theme song of the prequels yep. by the great John Williams, Duel the Fates. 
it really starts to kick it into high gear. And we have a lot to say about that piece of music. Yeah. Not only is it a great orchestral piece, but they put these voices in it. I'm not even sure what they're saying to this day. I still don't know. Do we know? Someone knows. It might be something we it could Google me. and look up. I'll we'll talk about it on part two. <laughs> but it's okay. Are you checking that out? Yeah. Brooke, Brooke's on Google duty right now. But this is where the famous duel, uh, one one of the more famous duels definitely in Star Wars history is the duel between Darth Maul and Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's very <laughs> intense. Very intense. So while that's going on, Amidala and her troops are able to capture the Viceroy. I want to go ahead and, and say that happens because I really want to focus on this duel, Jeff and Brooke. So what do you yeah, have to say? What do you have to say about this this lightsaber duel here? Yeah, I mean, well, like he said, you know, the door opens and then we see Darth Maul, and immediately it, it, I remember the first when, when when we watched the movie, just oh my god, like it's on, you know, like this is the moment everyone's been waiting for, you know. And I just love everything about it from, like, the you know, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon removing their robes and, like, they're getting ready. Like, this, yeah, this is going to be... Yeah, some ceremony to it. There's this some is going to be Yeah, something. it's going yeah, to be ugly. And, um, yeah, I mean, just, it, you know, it, it's one of those things where, again, kind of like the beginning when, you know, we're talking about all those trades and stuff. Like, oh, get out, get, get you know, get that out of the way. I want to see Jedis. <laughs> and, like, I didn't even care about like the space battle i didn't even know what queen amidala was running around doing all i wanted to see (laughs) all i wanted to see was this lightsaber fight you know and um god i mean so many so many i mean moments where you you know first you're you're just seeing this the skill of ray park like just how 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 masterful he is as a martial artist and how oh you know yeah he he's dictating the fight. I mean, the way he. I mean, and and uh, Ian McGregor is actually really. He he became a very skilled swordsman. I've seen him on many like talk shows where like they actually hand him a lightsaber on like, um, uh, one of the um, I can't remember the name of the talk show, but I saw one of these too. Yeah, he kind of immediately just kind of starts doing stuff with. Yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, oh, he did this like thing and like. Uh, it's like a British talk show. I can't remember the guy's name, but it, it, it was great. I mean, he, he still remembered how to do all the fancy, you know, swirls and moves and stuff. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, there's that. And then there's the, the the part where it's getting physical. And, like, Darth Maul, like, lands his high kick, you know, kicks Obi-Wan in the face, sends him falling off this platform. And Obi-Wan, I mean, and Qui-Gon's like, uh-uh, I ain't having it. And he lands this backhand on Darth Maul that I was like, oh, I love when Dar- when lightsaber fights get physical. I love when Luke Beyond, kicked Darth yeah. Vader down the stairs, you know? Like, that's, I, and I kind of wished, you know, and not to move forward, but I kind of wish the Obi-Wan uh, yeah. and Anakin fight would, would got more physical. I think we've talked about that many times. But that was probably my favorite moment of the whole fight. And that's why I was saying before when you were asking me about, you know, could Qui-Gon handle Darth Maul I think he I think he does you know pretty well for a time I mean I mean the fact yeah, that he let was me, able to do that yeah let me retcon myself a little bit and just say <laughs> I you know right after I said that I thought well, you know what the guy was totally taken by surprise mm-hmm. by one of the most skilled you know fighters that you know we've ever seen in in the Star Wars universe so I officially take that back I mean he was definitely <laughs> taken off his guard and had to play defense the entire time and did barely get away but yeah he definitely had no time to prepare Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan end up fighting into the deep interiors of the palace eventually are separated 
they're separated by this this force field. I'm not quite sure what the apparatus was they got caught up in, but it, it would open and close randomly. When it opened, you could run through it. When it closed, you couldn't. It was like a, an energy field. Well, Obi-Wan recovering from that kick is, is left behind. Qui-Gon continues to fight and hold his own against Maul. But eventually, as Obi-Wan catches up right before he's able to, he is separated by an energy by one of those energy walls or energy fields on that on that, you know, whatever that vent or whatever it is. I'm sure there's a name for it. Don't quite have it. But he is forced to watch his master fight this menacing foe without his assistance. Qui-Gon is not really even overwhelmed. Essentially, he's fighting him, and, and, and it's just Darth Maul gets him with a shot. If I'm not mistaken, Jeff, he pops him with his hilt. And then... Yeah, pops his, pops his lightsaber out, and then, you know, using a maneuver, probably only able to be used with a double-bladed mm-hmm. lightsaber, you know, again, showing the utility of it. Even though, in actuality, probably very right. impractical. <laughs> but, you know... But it, for, for the purposes of cinematic, you know, yeah, he like, pops Qui Gon in the face and then turns and runs him through, and to, and Obi Wan is just devastated. He screams no, and Qui Gon falls, and Darth Maul does not even look back. He just looks right at Obi Wan. He's like he is on to the next thing. The energy field drops. Obi Wan runs in. I love that scene. As soon as they start to kind of like it, they start to get ready to unlock Obi Wan. You see it only for a second, but when Obi Wan activates his lightsaber, he's, he's like, yeah, yeah, he's like jumping up and down, like he is ready he, to he just gives lay. Kind into, of a Rocky vibe for yeah. just a hot second. Yeah, it's almost like a boxer's mm-hmm. dance. Yeah. He is ready to lay into this guy, and it is intense. In fact, so intense that Obi Wan is angry, allowing Darth Maul to take advantage of that force blast mm-hmm. him back in uh, force blast him back into a shaft. Uh, Obi-Wan is able to catch himself from falling completely down it, but he loses his saber. Darth Maul taunts Obi-Wan, and then Obi-Wan is able to steal himself, use the Force to pull himself out of the shaft, summons Qui-Gon's lightsaber, and cuts Maul in half across the waist. Darth Maul has a shocked look on his face, and then he falls to what we thought at that time (laughs) was his death. I mean, he splits in half and just, you know, falls into the darkness. Meanwhile, Anakin destroys the reactor of the Trade Federation ship, thereby deactivating all of the Trade Federation droids on Naboo. So the space and land battle is won. So that's taken care of immediately. Qui-Gon dies in Obi-Wan's arms, but not before requesting that Obi-Wan train Anakin. Obi-Wan, overcome with grief, promises his dying master that he would train the boy. And I... And I want to also say, to Obi-Wan Kenobi's credit, and this is one of the things I've always loved about Obi-Wan Kenobi, is his presentation is so, like, I'm just a guy. I mean, yeah, I'm a Jedi, but hey, you know. I, I'm, he's not fancy. He, even in his fighting style, Obi-Wan is not um, flamboyant or showy. You know, Anakin is very offensive when we see him grow later. Obi-Wan is very just, I'm doing what needs to be done, but make no mistake, Obi-Wan's skill almost comes out of nowhere. And I forgot to mention, and I just wanted to, when he gets into when he gets into it with Darth Maul, one on one, he does cut uh, Darth Maul's double lightsaber in half. I mean, he's able mm-hmm. to, and you mm-hmm. see almost the shock on Darth Maul's face when he falls. Like he's kind of like, to do that. yeah, you, you shouldn't have did that. I mean, now Maul is quick to 
pick his single blade up and 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 continue to use it. But the fact of the matter is, Obi Wan was not playing around. And there we see is like, wait a minute, this kid, he is ready to be a Jedi, mm-hmm. and this guy is no joke. I mean, he was. I mean, I think that had the Force push not happened, I think Obi Wan might have just fought him to actually defeating him, like just based on just the merit of his skill, maybe. But who knows? Who knows? After Qui-Gon dies and everything, you know, the battle is over. You know, our heroes are triumphant for now. We go back to Naboo. There's a funeral pyre for Qui-Gon, which is darkened even more by the discovery that the Sith have returned. Mace Windu and Yoda have a very ominous discussion about what is going to happen now, essentially. Obi-Wan promises that Anakin will be a Jedi. After having a very, very tense conversation with Yoda, who still says, I don't agree with this, but we're going to let this happen. The film ends with a renewed treaty of peace between the Gungans and the Naboo, and all seems well for now. And so ends Star Wars Episode One. Now, Brooke, I do, I do want to say before we, you know, kind of wrap things up on the film end of things, um, Brooke... What do you have? You have located, <laughs> I believe, the the yes. lyrics for Duel of the Fates. Okay, so it's actually a lot deeper than you would think. There has been choral music in other films. There's not been any with lyrics. This is it. So this was the first time uh, John Williams used actual words in his score of Star Wars. You know, I wondered that, but I didn't want to yeah. guess that, you know? Yeah, great. it was the first. I don't know. I don't know about after that, but this was the first. Phantom Menace. So a quote from him it said, "The great sword fight at the end of the film. The decision to make that choral was just the result of my thinking that it should have a ritualistic or quasi-religious feeling, and the introduction of a chorus might be just the thing. The medium of chorus and orchestra would give us a sense that we're in a big temple." And so that he actually used um, lyrics from a poem. That was Welsh. It's uh, it's called Cad Gado or the Battle of the Trees, um, and he translated just a section of it into Sanskrit, which is interesting. And the 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 actual lyrics say, "Under the tongue root, a fight most dread, and another raging behind in the head," which alludes to there's a there's a physical battle and a mental battle. Wow! And so he translated those lyrics into Sanskrit because he felt like the quality of the vowels would feel more religious, like you're in a in an ancient temple, to yeah. have it be in Sanskrit as opposed to Welsh. And the poem is insanely long. I tried to read it. I was like, nope, it's too long. <laughs> um, but ultimately, what's neat about it is that it's about this this guy, and he is fighting an an unbeatable enemy. The 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 enemy he has there's an unbeatable enemy that he can't fight. Wow. So he enlists the aid of the trees, and he does beat the enemy with their help. He learns the name of the enemy. And is able to beat him. Wow. So, I don't know. It's it's actually, like, super-duper symbolic. Well, yeah, especially when you talk about an unbeatable enemy. Because in the story arc of the prequels, we know that good does not win. Right. Right. I love so, that. So, it, inter- it was such an interesting choice. And obviously, of course, anytime you're doing anything with music, you're going to do something symbolic. But um, it's just neat that that's where he pulled it from. That's, I'm so glad you looked that up. I'm I so was, yeah, I was, I got super interested once <laughs> you yeah. mentioned it. That's super cool. I, yeah, and I liked the soundtrack. I, I owned the soundtrack on CD. I did like the music, you know. So we're going to end this week's episode on a cliffhanger because this is a two-part episode of episode one. <laughs> episode 1.1. 1. 1. We talked about episode one, 
this week. Next week, we are really excited. We're going to have Jeff back on again, and we're going to talk about all the stories that we experienced as as young men and women who were actually older and really were able to remember Star Wars. Because, I mean, you got to think, when Star Wars came out, I mean, the first one came out three years before I was born, and all three of them came out before Brooke was even born. I know, Jeff, <laughs> you know, I think you were born in 79, right? Correct. Yeah, so, I mean, the first one was before you were born as well, so, and then we were really, we were just wee lads <laughs> for episode five and six, so, I mean, this is really, you know, again, when that second major Star Wars tidal wave came for the prequel tr- trilogy, it, it just was, the culture all came back, and, and again, being a little more grown up and really remembering that, it was just, and I cannot wait to talk about when Jeff and I <laughs> went opening night. I mean, that is... So just get ready, folks. Yeah. So we're going to close down the tape store. I just want to say, Jeff, it has been so fantastic finally having you on. Now, Jeff and I have been having hours-long conversations, <laughs> especially during the quarantine, but we, we stay in touch. We've, st- we've always stayed in touch. But bringing him into the podcast has just been just a lot of fun. So um, thank you so much for taking your time to join us. Thank you for having me on. It was, yeah, it was and... Awesome. Jeff and I have already started talking about, okay, <laughs> when you do this movie, you need to have me on. So, so yeah, it'll be a frequent guest. Yeah, Jeff is going Special to guest be, star. Yeah, recurring <laughs> cast member. We're excited. So without further ado, we're going to close the doors of the tape store. We will be back next week again to talk more Star Wars Episode One, and that's going to round out Star Wars Month for us. Yeah. So this has been a lot of fun. I know. I'm going to be sad it. to leave it. And again, if you've been listening out there we just want to thank you for your time always make sure we do that every week we appreciate it it means a lot that you listen to us we hope you've had fun we sure have as well so we'll see you next week until then this is toby this is brooke and this is jeff and may the force be with you and with us as well see everybody